1: Researchers look into a wave of attacks on financial institutions. Microsoft calls for a Geneva Convention for cyberspace. We take a look at phishing, and the RSA conference is underway. And we've got news from the Innovation Sandbox and venture capitalists. I'm Dave Bittner, not in Baltimore as usual, but in San Francisco, the city by the other bay, with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, February fourteenth, 2017. We're, of course, in California covering RSA 2017. We'll offer some observations from the conference a bit later, but for now, here's a quick review of the day's news. Researchers at Symantec and BAE have been looking into a wave of attacks on financial institutions. These attacks appear linked, they believe, to the Lazarus Group. The connection the researchers perceive is with the malware discovered in several of the watering hole attacks. The malware in question is Retankba and is thought to bear significant similarities to attack tools used against banks by the Lazarus Group, a criminal organization believed by many to be linked to North Korea, and the hack Sony Pictures sustained in 2014. The wave of bank hacking came to light when Polish banks realized they were being compromised through a malware infection on Poland's financial sector regulatory body, the Polish Financial Supervision Authority. Its compromised website was serving as a watering hole. Polish media had initially suspected the campaign to originate with Russian security services. This is now being called into doubt. Attribution is notoriously difficult, the more so insofar as various intelligence and security services make use of criminal actors and even legitimate contractors to lend a degree of plausible deniability to their cyber-offensive operations. Cyber Reason has been reporting their findings in this regard at RSA, noting an increased tendency of governments—Russia, the United States, and the United Arab Emirates are all mentioned— to use third parties to install and manage cyber espionage tools. Russia's use of criminal gangs was particularly evident in the hacks of the Ukrainian power grid. But the lesson here is that the old staple of covert and clandestine tradecraft, plausible deniability, has reappeared in cyberspace. It's just in a new key. Along those lines, Microsoft has called for a Geneva Convention in cyberspace. Such an agreement would go beyond the protection of non-combatants the original Geneva Convention sought to ensure and would extend to the full range of issues as they might be negotiated for cyber-conflict. Microsoft is interested in promoting general international norms of cyber-conflict that would have a significant analogy to the international norms that currently govern armed conflict. Trevor Hawthorne is CTO at Wombat Security Technologies, and they recently released their 2017 State of the Fish report. We checked in with him for some highlights.
2: There were some trends that continued on uh, that we've seen the last several years. Um, There's also some good news. So, we are actually starting to see some improvements when it comes to fishing. And um, so, you know, while it's still an ongoing threat, um, just like a lot of things, just because you, you know, you may tamp down one particular attack vector doesn't mean that you can completely take the pressure off and, you know, shift on to something else. It now is something that you have to kind of maintain. If you've reviewed the the report you know that uh, we we sent a lot of phishing emails and so we have a pretty good idea of, of what what makes people tick are, are people clicking more are they clicking less and one of the the trends that the report shows is we saw a 64% increase in organizations measuring end user risk from 2015 to 2016. And so what that basically says to us is that organizations are starting to actually do something. We're also starting to see more anecdotal evidence. Um, if you go on to Twitter and you just search for the words phishing training, you're starting to see just a lot more chatter about people talking about their organizations conducting simulated fish. And this could be from Everybody, you know, from the administrators running programs all the way to end users saying, oh, I got caught, you know, and they talk about the training. Um, I've even seen a couple of my favorite parody accounts talk about phishing training. Um, so we kind of feel like, okay, you know, I think we're, we're starting to hit this sort of critical mass here.
1: What about, uh, you know, technology versus training? I mean, how are we doing in terms of the users never actually the, – the, these phishing emails never actually getting to the users?
2: Sure. Um, I've been doing information security primarily on the technical side of the house for, you know, the old a little bit over 20 years now. Mm-hmm. And uh, every single year that I've gone out to every conference and uh, every talk that I've ever seen, there's always really cool technology. There's a lot of really cool things happening in, in, like, endpoint protection now. At the end of the day, if email filtering and spam filtering and that type of thing was an effective control here – Ah, uh, we wouldn't be in business, and there wouldn't be this this you know now fairly large industry. There wouldn't be a Gartner Magic Quadrant for uh, user awareness if technology was 100% of the problem, which isn't to say that technology is useless. Obviously, I'm a technologist. I think everybody should have you know the most advanced email filtering that their budgets will allow. But at the end of the day, the bad guys know that and they know how to get around it. And if I send a properly formatted, non-spammy email that uses either malware that's never been seen before or novel attack or I use an attack that doesn't involve any malware. You know, there's nothing to sandbox. There's new URL. it could be a you know more of a confidence style attack. You have to rely on the end user Uh, to kind of close the gap between technology and where things fail.
1: That's Trevor Hawthorne from Wombat. Their State of the Fish report can be found on their website. In industry news, we're hearing that Microsoft has delayed issuing the patches expected for today. They should be out soon, but just not quite yet. Adobe has patched 13 Flash vulnerabilities. There's also some M&A activity. Convergence Technology has acquired Deep Run. Wisekey has agreed to buy Quovadis, and Haylock will acquire Eclipse Security. In the startup world, Insights has secured a $13 million Series B funding round. RSA 2017 opened with its annual hunt for the most innovative startups in the sector. A talented field yielded some creative solutions to vexing security challenges. RSA's 2017 Innovation Sandbox held its competition and selected a winner yesterday afternoon, Unify ID. The ten finalists all offered interesting and compelling presentations, especially in our opinion, the runner-up and But Unify ID bore the prize away. A panel of venture capitalists offered a state-of-the-security-sector report. They think that while investors have become more selective, particularly in later stages of funding, the cyber sector remains attractive and there are many deals to be made. One of the VCs, Bob Ackerman from Allegis Capital, characterized the state of the sector like this, quote, Markets initially run on hype and then move to a cycle in which they digest information, end quote. He sees the cyber sector as being currently on the cusp of that shift. If you're an entrepreneur pitching investors, here are some pieces of advice. Avoid buzzwords, know what differentiates you, and bring people who've been at the cutting edge of either the security industry or the intelligence community. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust Plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com/zerotrustai. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? That's vanta.com slash cyber. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Emily Wilson. She's the director of analysis at Terbium Labs. You know, Emily, uh, as we've spoken about before, you and I, the uh, the dark web kind of mirrors the real world in many ways. And uh, there's a lot of expressions of nationalism online.
0: Yeah, it's true. You know, we've talked before about the different communities. You have your fraud community, you have your, you know, your drug community or what have you. But we also see kind of these lines being drawn, um, these these national lines. Right. And this manifests in a few different ways, you know, whether it's a, you know, a, a Russian speaking forum or a Japanese drug site. You know, but but one of the most interesting ways is when you see you know clearly expressed do's and don'ts um, that are set up to prevent certain people from being targeted. So you know, there's a, a a Russian carding site I'm thinking of in particular where you know you go to sign up or you go to log in and it says you know don't buy from Russians, don't sell to Russians, don't card Russians. Everyone else is fair game. And this isn't just Russia; it's it's Israel too, right? Is another is another example. But there are these lines where. You know, again, it's 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 honor amongst thieves, right? We have a code. We don't attack our own people. Everyone else have fun, but we don't attack our own people.
1: And what happens if someone violates those rules? They just get booted out. It's like any social norm situation, I guess, right?
0: Yeah, I think I think that's exactly it, right? And I think that these communities are self-reinforcing, right? I think that if you are the kind of person who Uh, You know, wants to be able to card everyone, including your own countrymen, you're probably not going to associate yourself with that group. But what we see are these, um, you know, these these group manifestos kind of being um, being built where, you know, you, you kind of you're you're building your own subset of a subset of an online community.
1: So, are these communities? Uh, is is it an amplification of the the kinds of things you you see in the real world? Is it is it a distillation of the kinds of things you see in the real world, or does it pretty much parallel, you know, the way we all think about our our nations and our groups and our even you know our 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 groups of friends, our our uh, our cities, our our neighborhoods, our our high schools?
0: I think that in the same way that we see in the real world, different manifestations of of, of patriotism and when that crosses into nationalism, I think that you see that, right? On one end, you have someone who, you know, doesn't identify themselves in any particular way online. And then maybe you have, you know, your country's flag as your profile picture, or maybe you have a, a username that's in a different language or, you know, has some patriotic undertones. And I think that's the spectrum, right? Of then you move over to, you know, someone who's going to say, I'm not going to, to card my own people or I'm not going to buy and sell to them. Um, And then I think you have, you know, maybe on the farthest end of the spectrum, people who want to actively work to, you know, advance the goals of their country and want to work in that space. Right. And so I think I think these are the same behaviors that we see offline. It's just that there are they're, they're manifesting themselves. The same spectrum is manifesting itself in the online community as well.
1: All right. Emily Wilson, thanks for joining us. And that's the CyberWire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening.
0: Hi, everybody. It's Maria Varmaza's here, your host over at T-minus Space Daily, and sometimes a guest on Hacking Humans too.